Section five of Heroines Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Paula. Heroines Every Child Should Know. Edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe and Kate Stevens. Joan of Arc, Part One. On the 6th of January, 1412, Jeanne d'Arc, or, as we call her, Joan of Arc, was born in Domremy, a little village on the left bank of the Meuse, on land belonging to the French crown. Her parents, Jacques d'Arc and Isabelle Romay, were simple peasants of good life and reputation, who brought up their children to work hard, fear God, and honor the saints. Besides Joan, they had four children, three sons, Jacques, Jean, and Pierre, and a daughter, Catherine joan's native valley was fair and fertile the low hills that bounded it were covered with thick forests and rich meadows along the mews were gay with flowers which gave to the chief town in the district its name of vaucouleurs valley colorum Domremy, built on a slope touched upon those flowery meadows but over the hill behind it spread an ancient oak wood the bois chenus of legend and prophecy between the forest and the village rose solitary a great beech beautiful as a lily about which the country people told a thousand tales they call it the fairies tree the tree of the ladies the beautiful may in old times the fairies had danced around it and under its shadow a noble knight had formerly dared to meet and talk with an elfin lady but now in joan's time the presence of the fairies was less certain for the priest of domremy came once a year to say mass under the tree and exercise it in a spring that bubbled up close by on festival days the young villagers hung it with garlands and danced and played around it and rested under its boughs to eat certain cakes which their mothers had made for them during her childhood joan brought her cakes and garlands like the rest danced with them and sang more than she danced but as she grew older she would steal away and carry her flowers to the neighboring chapel of our lady of domremy her early years were considering the times quiet and peaceful with the war raging between english and french and their allies to its west and north domremy had comparatively little to do news of english successes of french defeats and the sorrows of the french king were brought by fugitives from the war by travelling monks and other wanderers joan helped to receive those wayfarers waited on them and gave up her own bed to them sometimes and what they told of the woes of france she heard with intense sympathy and pondered in her heart her bringing up fitted her for the tender fulfilling of all womanly duties unlike most girls of her class she had few outdoor tasks but spent most of her time at her mother's side doing the work of the house learning to sew and spin to repeat the belief and the legends of the saints her work done, her dearest pleasure was to go to the village church, which was close to her father's cottage, and there kneel in prayer, gaze on the pictured angels, or listen to the bells calling the faithful to worship. She had always a peculiar delight in the sound of church bells. She fasted regularly and went often to confession, so often that her young companions were inclined to jest at her devotion, and even her chosen friends, Homette and Mengette, half scolded her for being over-religious but her faith bore sound fruit the little money she got she gave in alms she nursed the sick she was gentle to the young and weak obedient to her parents kind to all there was no one like her in the village said the priest she was a good girl testified an old peasant such a daughter as i would gladly have had a good girl indeed they were pure and helpful hands that for a while held the fate of france 
There was a prophecy current during that unhappy time, an old prophecy of Merlin, which the suffering people had taken and applied to their own day and their own need. The kingdom lost by a woman was to be saved by a woman. The woman who had lost it was Isabeau of Bavaria, the wicked queen, the false wife of Charles the Sixth, the unnatural mother. Who was she that should save it? In the east of France it was said that the deliverer would be a maid from the marshes of Lorraine. Joan knew the ancient prophecy, and in her young mind it became blended with legends of saints, with stories of Bible heroines, with her own ardent faith and high aspirations. She loved more and more to be alone. Night and day the wonderful child brooded on the sorrows of France. She sent out her vague hopes and yearnings and tears and prayers, and passionate thoughts that were prayers. And they all came back to her with form and sound, in the visions and voices that were henceforth to be the rulers of her life. They came first when she was thirteen years old, on a summer's day. At noon, she was in her father's garden when suddenly by the church there appeared a great light, and out of the light a voice spoke to her, Joan, be a good child, go often to church. She was frightened then, but both voice and brightness came again and again, and grew dear and familiar. Noble shapes appeared in the glory. St. Michael showed himself to her. St. Catherine and St. Margaret bent over their radiant heads, bidding her to be good, trust in God. They told her of the sorrow there was in the kingdom of France, and warned her that one day it would be her mission to go and carry help to the king. While to outward eyes she lived as usual, she had a life apart, given to God and her saints. She vowed her virginity to heaven, but of her vow and the visions that had led her to it she told no one, not even the priest. Her meditations, her prayers, and unearthly friendships made her of no sickly dreamer, nor hot-brained fanatic. She grew up strong, tall, and handsome, with a healthy mind in her healthy body. Meanwhile, the dangers of France darkened and thickened. The war was pushing southward. The English leader, Salisbury, was on his way to Orleans. The French king, Charles, poor, indolent, ill-advised, was deliberating whether he should retreat into Dauphine or Spain or Scotland. Joan's voices grew more frequent and more urgent. Their word now was always, Go, go into France. At last they had told her the way. Go to Valcolure, to Robert de Baudricot, the governor. He will give you men-at-arms and send you to the king. It was now that Joan's trial began. While her beautiful visitors had spoken vaguely of some deliverance she was to bring about in the future, she had listened with trembling joy. But now they had plainly shown her the distasteful first step, and for a moment she shrank from taking it. How could a peasant brave the governor of Vaucouleur? How was a modest girl to venture among rude men-at-arms? How could a dutiful child leave her parents and her home? Alas, she pleaded, I am a poor girl. I know neither how to ride nor how to fight. She had a short, hard struggle with her own weakness, but the voices did not alter, and she set herself to do their bidding. Her uncle, Durant Laxart, with whom she evidently was a favorite, lived at a village near Vaucouleur, and in May, 1428, she went to his house for a visit. After a few days she confided to him something of her plans, reminding him of the old prophecy of Merlin, but never speaking of her visions. With much difficulty she prevailed on him to help her. He went with her to Vaucouleur, and before the governor, to whom she made known her errand. "'Send and tell the Dauphin,' she said, to wait and not offer battle to his enemies, because God will help him before mid-Lent. The kingdom belongs not to the Dauphin, but to the Lord.' 
but my lord wills that the Dauphin shall be king, and hold it in trust. In spite of his enemies, he shall be king, and I myself shall lead him to be crowned. And who is your lord? demanded Baudricourt. She answered, The king of heaven. The governor, a rough and practical soldier, laughed at the young peasant in her coarse red dress, and bade her uncle chastise her well, and take her home to her father. She returned to Dom Remy with her heart more than ever fixed on the work she had before her. Now and again she let fall words that revealed enough to make her parents anxious and fearful. Her father dreamed that she had gone away with the soldiers. If I thought such a thing could happen, he said to her brothers, I would bid you to drown her, and if you refused, I would drown her myself. But she was of a marriageable age. Why should she not marry, stay at home, and bring up children like other women? A lover came forward, a bold one, who, when she rejected him, summoned her before the court at Toul, declaring that she had promised to be his wife. But she went before the judges, spoke out bravely, and defeated her persevering suitor. As the months passed, her longing increased to be gone and do her voice's bidding. Once more she obtained her uncle's help. His wife was ill, and he came to Domremay and got leave for Joan to go back with him and nurse her. She went, keeping secret the real end of her journey. If I had a hundred fathers and a hundred mothers, she said later, and if I had been a king's daughter, I should have gone. She took leave of her companion, Mignette, but to Hamet, her dearer friend, she would not trust herself to say farewell. Her uncle took her to Vaucouleurs, gave her in charge of a wheelwright's wife, Catherine Royer, with whom she lived for some weeks. She went constantly to church, she helped her hostess in the house, and was gentle and obedient. At the same time she spoke frankly of her mission to any who chose to hear. She again went to the governor, who received her no better than before, but she was not cast down. I must go to Dauphin, she said, though I should go on my knees. Many people went to see her among others a brave gentleman of Metz, Jean de Navalapin. "'What are you doing here, my child?' he asked her jestingly. "'Shall the king be driven out of France, and must we all turn English?' "'I am come to this royal city,' she answered, "'to bid Robert de Baudricourt take or send me to the king. But he does not heed my words, and yet before mid-Lent I must be before the king, though I should wear away my legs to the knees. For no one else in the world, neither kings nor dukes, can recover the kingdom of france and there is no help but in me and indeed i would rather spin with my poor mother for this is not my calling but i must go and do it for it is my lord's will like baudricourt a knight asked her who is your lord and she answered he is god but unlike baudricourt he was touched by her words in the old feudal fashion he laid his hands within hers and vowed that by god's help he would take her to the king another worthy gentleman bertrand de Pouligny, gave a like promise. Baudricourt was now forced to listen to Joan. The people of Vaucouleurs believed in her with the ready faith of that time. She had at least two of his own class to take her part. But those voices of hers, were they of God or of the devil? Was she a witch or a saint? The governor, like many other good soldier, had some weakness of superstition. He went to see her, taking with him a priest, who began to exercise her bidding her avant if she were of the evil one. Joan approached the priest and knelt before him, honouring not him but his office, for, as she said afterwards, he had not done well. He should have known that no evil spirit spoke by her. While she was waiting at Baudricourt's pleasure, the Duke of Lorraine, who was ill at Nancy, heard of her, and hoping for the revelation of some cure, desired to see her. He sent her a safe conduct, and she went to Nancy under the care of her uncle. 
but she only knew what her voices taught and she had no power to cure any ills but those of france this she told the duke promising him her prayers and begging him to aid her enterprise he sent her back honourably but did not pledge himself to the royal cause the people of vaucouleurs came forward to help joan they gave her a horse and the dress and equipment of a soldier for as she was to travel with men she wisely chose to wear man's attire baudricourt still doubted and delayed the people she was sojourning with pitied her anxiety on the day of the battle of rouvray she went to the governor in god's name she said you are too slow about sending me to-day the dauphin has suffered great loss near orleans and he is in danger of yet greater if you do not send me to him soon at last he yielded to her urgency he gave her a sword and the letter to the king and let her prepare to depart bertrand de poligny jean de nouvelampont and four armed men of lesser rank were to accompany her she did not see her parents to bid them farewell but she sent them a letter entreating them to pardon her she spoke cheerily to those who were afraid for her safety god and her brothers of paradise would guard her and her little escort on their dangerous journey on february twenty third fourteen twenty nine they set out baudricourt bidding her go come of it what may her most timid well-wisher could hardly have exaggerated the perils of the journey more than half of it was through the enemy's country where there was continual risk of being stopped in question the rivers swollen by the winter rains were unfordable therefore the travellers had to cross over bridges in full sight of fortified towns on the eleventh day of their journey the maid and her party reached st catherine de fibois near chignon where they rested and joan heard three masses she sent a letter to charles requesting an audience and telling him she came a hundred and fifty leagues to help him an interview with charles was no such simple affair as she had fancied between her and him were doubts jealousies intrigues but her friends prevailed and after two days waiting she was admitted to the castle as she was passing through the gate a man-at-arms called out what is that the maid and added a coarse jest and an oath joan turned and looked gravely at him alas she said you blaspheme god and you are so near your death within an hour the man was drowned by an accident and those words of hers were repeated far and wide as proof of her prophetic power the count of vendome led her into the royal presence she entered meekly but undismayed in her vision she had seen finer company than any earthly court could show her charles stood among the crowd of nobles and when she knelt before him he pointed to a richly dressed lord saying that is the king not i but she knew the king probably from description she had heard of him and answered in god's name gracious prince you are he and none other she then repeated to him the words which like a charm had brought her so far and overcome so much i am joan the maid sent by god to save france and she asked him for troops that she might go and raise the siege of orleans presently the duke of alencon came in and the king having told her who he was she bade him welcome the more there are of the blood royal of france she said the better it will be alencon who had lately returned from three years captivity in england and was still paying a ruinous ransom sympathized with the girl champion and was inclined to believe in her the king and his advisers went cautiously to work they sent two monks to domrame to inquire into joan's character and past life they called her now and again to court where statesmen and churchmen questioned her closely meanwhile she was honourably treated she was given to the charge of bellier the king's lieutenant 
whose wife was a lady of virtue and piety and many distinguished persons visited her at the castle where she was lodged one day she rode with the lance before the king and acquitted herself so well that the duke of alencon rewarded her with the gift of a beautiful horse could she have at all forgotten her mission the time would have passed pleasantly as it was she wearied for action at last she sought the king and said to him gracious dauphin until charles was anointed at reims with the sacred oil he was no real king in her eyes gracious dauphin why will you not believe me i tell you god has pity on you your kingdom and people to satisfy all doubts about joan it was settled that she should be taken to poitiers where the parliament was assembled and there be questioned by a royal commission in god's name let us go she said i shall have hard work but my lord will help me she was lodged in the house of the advocate-general to the parliament and committed to his wife's care the archbishop of reims called together churchmen and learned doctors the commissioners met and having met called joan showed her by good and fair arguments that she was unworthy of belief they reasoned with her for more than two hours and she answered them so well that they were amazed in spite of their expressed distrust she spoke to them freely and fully told how her voices had bidden her to go into france how she had wept at their command and yet obeyed it and how she had come safely because she was doing the will of god you require an army said one saying it is god's will that the english shall quit france if that be so there is no need for your men-at-arms because god can drive them away at his pleasure the men-at-arms shall fight she answered and god shall give the victory and the monk confessed that she had answered well when the examination had dragged on for three weeks two of the doctors came one day to question her bringing with them the king's equerry whom she had known at chignon she clapped him comrade-like on the shoulder exclaiming would that i had more men of as good will as you then turning to the doctor she said i believe you are come to catechize me listen i know neither a nor b but there is more in god's books than in yours he has sent me to save orleans and crown the king she demanded paper and ink write what i tell you she said and dictated to the amazed scholars the famous letter which soon after was sent to the english the grave and stern commissioners were warned by the young peasant none of them bore her any grudge for the occasional sharpness of her replies many of them believed firmly that she was inspired and quoted the old prophecy of merlin who had foretold the coming of a maid who should deliver france all of them trusted in her good faith and appreciated more or less the influence she would have over the people they advised almost commanded charles to employ her her life they said has been carefully inquired into for six weeks she has been kept near the king persons of all ranks men and women have seen and talked with her and found her only goodness humility chastity devotion seemliness and simplicity she has promised to show her sign before orleans let the king send her there for to reject her would be to reject the holy spirit besides her learned judges she had others whom she had been an impostor she would have found hard to deceive keen women's eyes had been set to watch her and seen no fault in her the ladies who came to see the warrior damsel were amazed to find her a mere girl very simple and speaking little her goodness and innocence moved them to tears she prayed them to pardon her for the man's attire she wore but in that lawless day the most modest women must have well understood that such dress was fittest and safest for her who had to live among men toward the end of april she was sent to tours where a military staff was appointed her her brothers jean and pierre who had followed her were included in her retinue 
A suit of beautiful armor was made for her. She was provided with a banner after her own device, white, embroidered with lilies. On one side of it, a picture of God enthroned on clouds and holding a globe in his hand. On the other, the shield of France, supported by two angels. She had also a pignon, whereon was represented the Annunciation. The king would have given her a sword, but her voices, she said, had told her of the only one she might use, an ancient weapon with five crosses on its blade, which was lying buried behind the altar in the church of St. Catherine de Fibois. A messenger was sent, and in the place she told of was found an old rusty sword such as she had described. After being polished, it was brought to her with two rich scabbards, one of crimson velvet and the other of cloth of gold, but the practical maid got herself yet another of strong leather for daily wear. Joan being accepted, the national party made rapid preparations for the relief of Orleans. Her first care was that the army given her by God should be worthy of his favor. For the priests attached to it, she had a banner made with a picture of the crucifixion beneath which they said mass and sang hymns to the virgin morning and evening end of section five